Welcome to Story Forward Podcast. I'm experimenting with different sorts of pauses, in case you haven't noticed. I am one of your hosts. I am Larry Rosen, of course. This man sitting across from me in Zoomland is the co-host of the podcast. Yes, Christian Wynn here. Thanks, Larry. Co-founder of Story Fort. Yes. Director of Story Fort. Yes. All kinds of other things that we don't generally talk about. Eventually, we'll get to that. We are winding down our season of stories from the world of music. And we've got some good stories for you today in a different sort of format. We have talked to journalists. We've talked to producers. We've talked to musicians. We've talked to cover bands. We've had record label owners. And the one thing we haven't looked into is the ballad of the super fan. Yes, there's so much to it. And we uh, will dig into that a bit um, with a couple of other correspondents. Should we lay out those and get into the... uh, Lay out the correspondence. And then uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand about our own super fan experiences. And they're probably not what you think, but we're going to get to them anyway. Yes, not too much um, stalking going on, but you know, maybe a little spiritual stalking happening and maybe a couple fanboy moments for me. But uh, we do have uh, Mr. Sam Berman, who is also hearkening back to uh, one of our events we've aired around the world of music on this season, as part of the season, I should say, the Backstage Pass event at 10th Street Station during Story Fort and Tree Fort, where folks tell us about the stories behind the music. This one for Sam is all about Lady Gaga and a particular human young man he meets whose quest is to see Lady Gaga. So it's pretty great. It is a saga. And then there's also Dan DeLion. This is, I believe this is his DJ name for Radio Boise, but I, maybe it's his real name. Do you, have a, do you have a locked and loaded DJ name in case you'd ever become a DJ? Oh, man. Now, you're probably oh, <laughs> I feel like you could like, see, when I say DJ name, I mean like Dr. Johnny Fever kind of DJ name, not like, you know, DJ Volcano or anything like that. No, I, could be, I mean, you you you're like I'm gonna go with Senator Wynn, you know. You, you oh, like, Senator you, Wynn. That's something I like. Be, I just wanted to be Steve of Destruction. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. How about I, that? I don't know. I, I didn't Steve have a punny time. name like that, but I, I I'll think about that. We'll, we'll yeah, come back on. to me with a DJ name by the end of the episode, please. But yeah, but Dan DeLion, um mm-hmm. and uh, in conversations like light moderation from. Uh, Jared Bostrom. They both work with and for Radio Boise, but Dan DeLion's story is the one that's featured here. Um, and it's all about Black Sabbath and a quest to see Ozzy Osbourne. That I gets I mean, how about if you had a kid and he said his quest was to see, meet Ozzy Osbourne? I, I don't know. I mean, this was a year, but this is okay. Dan DeLion is like our age, so this is yeah. like back in the day. Like yeah. when, like, when you're into metal and you, I mean, worse. He might be. Anyway, it's a great conversation. (laughs) These guys. So that's a correspondent piece that we recorded um, previously in studio. And then Sam's is live from the 10th Street. And then Larry and I have uh, our own thing. We're going to opine a little bit about fandom in all of its uh, guises. I, I, you know, I was just thinking. So we were talking beforehand about how, like, I don't know. I started trying to write down. Have I ever done a super fan type of thing or been a super fan of other than telling people I try to dress in a way that makes them think I might be friends with Jeff Tweedy, you know, but I've never stalked Jeff Tweedy. I've not 
I haven't listened to Jeff Tweedy music in quite a while, so I wouldn't call myself a super fan, you know? Yeah, and you obviously, if you, if for all our listeners who've been loyal and have listened before, know that you're a, you were and kind of still are, you know, a rock journalist, a music journalist. So you, you had more of like a business arrangement with the yeah, music. yeah. Anyone, yeah, anyone who listened to the um, the journalism one, the story I told, there was one line that I almost didn't include, but it's important. This part where you would interview them and think maybe you were going to become friends, but really what you developed was uh a one-way relationship that was transactional because you realize all you ever talked about was their band right as cool as it would be like if you went out and saw andrew from uncle joe's big old driver and his girlfriend you had been friendly you still ended up talking about their band <laughs> i know so there was never a moment back in your time like the never broke through never broke through and also i'm finding for myself so I had an experience a couple of years ago that taught me that I'm a person who likes a lot of things that other people love. I went to see Guided by Voices. Do you know Guided by Voices? People, wait, yeah, so people don't love or do love? No, no, I like Guided by Voices. Oh, okay. I, was, I got into them real late. I'm like, wow, this is good. I really like this and I played a lot. And I re read about the guy, you know, the guy who is Guided mm -hmm. by Voices, Robert Pollard. He's older than us mm -hmm. and he was a junior high school a science teacher while in Guided by Voices. And he also um, had his, his jersey number uh, retired by his high school in all four sports, which I love that stuff. But anyways. That's pretty cool. We go to see Guided by Voices and we're standing in line and everybody else is a super fan. Mm. <laughs> and they're just like talking about this song and that show and this stuff. I'm like, oh, it might be a fun show, but... It's an odd experience being the only non-super fan in an audience of super fans. Because yeah. you know how super fans act when their the object of their desire actually appears on stage. They swoon, right? They well, pass yeah. out. They go with uh, the, you know, the Beatles style stuff. Sure. And everything that the musician says in between songs is the funniest thing they ever heard. Yeah. And I, I mean... I guess if you're a musician, you know, you'd have to... Or, you know, any kind of person. Most people who have super fans um, are welcoming to this. They're in a sphere and the public that is actually, this is maybe why they did it in the first place. Maybe, you know? I mean, you're probably much closer to having super fans than I am. Well, well I don't know, but I won't speculate on that. But I- Oh, I writer, I man about town. Man about town, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I have had people say nice things about- Or are they transactional fans? They want something from you. Well, I won't speak to that, Larry. It's a little private, you know, but a little personal. But I don't know. No, I don't know. It's it, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I mean, I personally have fanboyed out, as mentioned earlier. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, with, uh, you know, without really meaning to. There's a writer named Juno Diaz, who I have been a big fan of over the years, really admired him and still do. Um, there were a couple of problematic things that happened a couple of years back with him, but he's, he's come out the better man on the other side, I feel like, but he has, he has such, I mean, I just really love his style and his, his approach and just like, anyway, he came to Boise, Idaho and I, there, you know, you do the Q and a, and there's like a line to like go up to like the side of the stage. And I would listen to, I brought my class there. I was teaching at Boise state university at the time. And Basically, I brought my class, and then I was the last question 
person to get to ask a question and I decided I wasn't going to ask a question because I was like nervous I was just going to be like I'm going to pay him a compliment I'm just going to be like and he swears a lot on stage and I'm going to drop an f-bomb or two here for a sec but he does his writing is you know pretty gritty and he does not he kind of maybe leans into the f-bomb a little too much in his stuff but I started complimenting him and kind of was getting away from myself and just like you're writing is so fucking awesome yourself. Oh, fuck it. It's my fucking favorite. Like, oh, fuck, really? And I just kind of didn't know what I was doing. And I, my, my students were like, dude, you just totally fanboyed out on him. And he like looked at me and he's like, afterward, he's like, I, was like, I mostly just like wanted to let him know how fucking awesome he was. And anyway, I later have been embarrassed for years now. But oh, my, students, wow. my, my students, my uh, students have also, they, they like to make fun of me, those who are there. But <laughs> Anyhow, it was, a, it was a moment where I was like meeting someone, um, so to speak. I guess I met him at the book signing table later on, but I was meeting someone not more than 20 feet away for the first time whose work I'd read a lot of, you know, and so. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a tough call. I mean, I, when I met John Doe, who was one of my favorite musicians, mm -hmm. um, though not a fanboy, you get really nervous and you just want, and I think super fans feel this way too, they just want to make a connection with that person, right? Yeah. I remember the first time I met John Doe, I introduced myself. This is when I was first starting writing and I was trying to be all professional. It was backstage at this big festival. I said, John Doe, Larry Rosen, Pandemonium. And he's like, oh, hey. I was like, yeah, you don't know me. <laughs> he was so burned out from meeting a billion people that he had lost the ability to discern who he had met and who he had not met. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, So for you, that was a sort of like, you don't want to be that guy. No, no. In fact, when you, I found later, because I, and then I met him a couple other times and he did remember me, but the key was always to get out, you know, get in, get out. Don't right. linger. Don't like, don't run out of things to say, compliment their music, but not in a weird way. Thank right. them for doing an interview or something. Get out. But you know, right. We but if you were like, I was going to say, we were super fans, you and I, and our okay. whole little group of people. For a very short period of time, we were super fans of the Hungry Crocodiles. Oh, that's true. The Hungry Crocodiles. I know. You, you know, it's better than Smack. It's better than Crack. It's a twelve. It's a cold half rack. You can knock it back. I do. Hungry Crocodiles. That. For those of you who weren't twenty-five and living in Seattle in the early '90s, <clears throat> were sort of a, <laughs> a, a a grunge antidote in our world. They were a funk band. Like I would call them like funk punk. I would call it, it was like oh, kind of like God. like Red Hot Chili Peppers early days. A little they were bit way of more funky than what I usually listen to. Yeah. But for some it's reason, our little social circle decided to adopt them as our favorite thing in the whole wide world, and we yeah. saw them so many times. Anytime they'd play, pretty much we'd like find them, <laughs> and I just and you know it's this is not a visual experience visual experience to listen to the pot or what i i'd run upstairs and grab my i have a, i found my hungry hungry crocodiles like promo pr photo thing i don't know where i got it it's not signed i just can't, i have it i got it it was in my parents attic i got it a couple years a couple summers ago and i was like and we would get the we, go, we would get the shout out yeah no we had friends and we had another friend um simply known as Bando, we'll call him that, which is actually his name, but not really his name. But he was like buddies with them. He was he was probably the deep dive super fan on the Hungry Crocodiles. He probably was, though. I remember having 
I don't remember what the setting was, but I remember having actual real conversations with the drummer, Terry. T-Bar. T-Bar, who also worked yeah. at a Mexican restaurant we always went to. But I remember like <laughs> having like non, how's your band doing? You guys are awesome. Oh, yeah. Discussions with him. I, I can't remember the setting, but none of the other guys. Like I just remember him and there was the lead singer. It was Mike or something. With like kind of curly red, you know. Yeah, but yeah, that was, I think that's the closest we got to being super fans. As a group, I mean, yeah, I mean, you moved out of Seattle and I, I definitely carried on um, a band called the American Music Club, which mm. was out of, you know, Mark Eitzel of the American Music Club. I mean, we didn't really get to hang out with him much. He said, if you listen to their music, you'll know maybe why. <laughs> he's, he's uh, it's not, it's not happy music. Yeah, he's depressed. There's, there's a lot of stuff to it. And that was kind of, it was me too i was so <laughs> so, <laughs> so it worked uh, you know so but the music i was i mean went to every he's you know not from seattle and didn't play like a ton in seattle but my friends and i were just very about the american music club uh he was he a was, san francisco band he was it was yeah they were they were i guess awarded well song i song lyricist of the uh, lyricist of the year in like 1996 i think it was and that was like by rolling stone and so it was a big deal. And that was the first time I saw them. And our friend Don Criley um, mm. brought, he was a fan. I did not seem like Don Criley's type of music, but I was very, very impressed. So anyway, I, we went and saw so many of those shows and you were living in San Francisco at the time, I think. So Yeah, because I remember I him down there. He always wore a hat. He was like, he a, wore a, hat? like a fedora kind of guy. Yeah, kind of Johnny Evison style there. Yeah, so Johnny, Johnny Evison's moved over to the sailor cap now. And so. <laughs> but Mark Mark Edsel was highly regarded in San Francisco, like really well thought of. And, but yeah, you know, it's funny as as I get older, and I start to realize that a lot of musicians like that that you really respect and you really think highly of. There's a guy that I was listening to a few years ago named Joe Pernice. His band was the Pernice Brothers. Like this guy is awesome. He's a genius. And then he posted a video of himself in his house once. I'm like, I live better than that guy. <laughs> Way better than that guy. Like, how weird is that? And yeah. the, other, the other flip side is when you're friends with someone before they, I'm thinking of John Roderick, when you're friends well, with them and then they get notoriety and all of a sudden you feel like you're a super fan and not their Well, fan. I was going to actually bring this up because you've <clears throat> mentioned more than once in uh, my company that you... Well, John Roderick of uh, the Long Winters and Western State Hurricanes and someone we had on this podcast, which is many, many podcasts of his own and many and he's great. Um, and but you were like and you were right there in the moment of his birth as a podcaster, even though you were friends before, but you were you've been you've expressed, uh, I don't know, I don't know, regret, maybe a little, a little bit. bit of anger of like, I could have been the guy well, I think I, guy I took over by you because he didn't want to be a super fan. I didn't want to be a super fan. Yeah. And I didn't want to be like, hey, man, like when I found out later that he had started his podcast with a guy who had been a fan, I was like, wait, what? Because what? Yeah. The podcast is basically more of the, uh, I don't want to bug you type of yeah. guy. You know, I don't bug you. I don't want to like a few times that he came to San Francisco and I would wait around, you know, I feel like an idiot. You know, just want to hang out with my friend and I feel like an idiot, like with all these other hangers on, like trying to get sign an autograph. That's the weird part. Like when you're waiting to talk to your friend behind 50 people who want an autograph. That's I know. I have that a guy. friend. What's that guy doing standing over there? What a weirdo. I know. 
I happen yeah. to have a friend who's uh, won a Pulitzer Prize. You know, <laughs> he I always feel kind of weird, but he's like the nicest guy in the world, so he can't be feeling too weird around it. But you don't want to like be the guy like, hey, but I'm a, I'm a friend here. Um, but yeah, so I had something else I was going to say along those lines with well, I feel you not like wanting to mess with Roderick. Yeah, I feel like you've achieved enough of a standing in the world of writers, at least where you live, that you don't have to be a super fan to anyone. You know, if, if, if Tommy Orange oh. comes through town, you're the guy, you're not the guy trying to talk to Tommy Orange. You're the guy responsible for Tommy Orange. <laughs> I mean, somewhat. I, I, I'm, I mean, when Jennifer Egan came to town, it was like one of my literary crushes, you know, I was very, I, I, think, uh, I think I handled it pretty well because I had the Juno Diaz experience under my belt <laughs> so but she also was like but she, yeah I, I did and we had a good conversation just about stuff and so was and, she that, didn't, and she didn't know anything about me probably I don't know you know but were I you know. like were you assigned to her because I what I'm saying is when when people come to Boise like writers at some point you're going to be introduced to them as as a member of this community and an important member of this community not as some guy you know like yeah oh, that's the local guy okay not just like, who's <laughs> like, guy bugging me? Leave me alone, you know? So I think you, yeah. have, you have risen above any, there's no chance for you to super fan any writer coming to your hometown. Boom. Okay. How about that? We'll stick and Guided with that. by Voices is playing Tree Fort. I know. And we can stand there and watch everyone else swoon and go, oh, these songs are nice. They are nice, definitely. <laughs> well, let's get into, you know, one of these, I think we're going to probably go with uh, Mr. Dan DeLion first and All right. then close out with Mr. Sam Berman. Sounds good. All right. DJ Dan DeLion, thank you for joining me. Here's to you, my friend. Here's to you. My brother in arms. We're talking about the brother from trips. another dimension somehow. I'm That's not sure right. how that works out. You know, poor Spider-Man and Carnage have flipped in some different universe where you yeah, and I are friends. various wormholes. We've, we've ended up together. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when you talk to me, you know, the idea of a road trip to me, and the reason why I think they're special, because road trips are fulfilling a passion in the sense of you make the commitment to take the time, mm -hmm. to make the plan, to do something more than just go from your house to a club that's only 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away, or whatever it is. You know? Right. Um, and there's got to be a reason behind it. Uh, yeah, you don't more just, often than not. Yeah, that's not just any band. Yeah, yeah, and so mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it, and for me, the road trip was pretty special. This is part of the story. Is that so? I grew up in Nebraska and North Dakota, mm -hmm. and then Idaho ultimately. Okay, which is all three are not really major touring stops for sort of music that I listen to yeah. then or now yeah. even. Um, and so you just know, like if you if you want to see a band, like a particular band. You're just gonna have to travel. You're just gonna have to. You're gonna have to do it. And I really never had the opportunity, uh, just because of the way it was, until I was. I mean, I did some road trips when I was in a band with my bandmates, but but the one that was kind of like my, and there was the comfort in numbers on those ones, so I don't really count them. This yeah. was like the first proper like, I'm doing this, and I'm and I. Oh, you I'm, went out on your own on that. Well, I went with another guy. Okay. And he was like me, so he had grown up in Ryrie. Idaho. So yeah, no one goes there. Yeah. So yeah. both of us are just from small agrarian towns, not really used to big cities, not used to, to the comfort of having bands come to you regularly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and as it turned out, and we were both uh, young lawyers at a law firm in town, 
and it was one of the grind law firms and you just you know to sneak away time mm. was just an amazing you know you had to work hard to do it because basically you're there to sweat for yeah. them and we both realized that we had an affinity for black sabbath and i think i didn't do my math you'll have to so correct mm. me if i'm wrong i think it was around 97 or 98 when black sabbath with ozzy Got back together. And this was also, this, I'll date myself, because mm-hmm. I know that's why it's got to be around 97, 98, because this is pre-internet. And uh, in, in pre-internet days, what you had to do was you had to find out, like, if a band was coming, mm-hmm. and if they were coming in your locale, you had to get the Ticketmaster number. Right. And then you had to wait, uh, since we weren't obviously in the city, which in this case was Salt Lake City, since we weren't going to be able to stand outside the box office and camp out, we had to sit there on the company phones, sneaking away, worried that the senior partners were going to f- find out about us. Hours you know. of music. Yeah, instead yeah. of, you know, billing, you know, the point six every hour, we were sitting there just on constant, like, hold and redial, trying to get trying to get through so we could buy our tickets. And uh, so I got through first, mm-hmm. and we got a ticket to see Black Sabbath uh, in Salt Lake City. Nice. And I don't think age has changed the story. I really feel like we got in early, and we were able to get, like, not front row, but like, you know, first 15 rows of okay. Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And so for him and I, just this was like dream come true. And so for six months, we were just like, this is, we are we are going to see Black, we're going to see Black Sabbath. Yeah. We are going to see yeah. Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Ami, and Bill Ward, I mean, the, and Geezer. We're going to see the full of them. Yeah. And I don't know what their stage setup is, and it doesn't matter. We're just going to be there. We're going to finally see Ozzy Osbourne. We get in the car, and we have, which means that we have to like create an excuse with the senior partners why two of their their young mill workers are just going to disappear for three days because we're like, well, we're going to do this upright, you know, we're going to get there and just party it up and all that kind of stuff. Would Black Sabbath not be a good enough excuse? No, I mean, I, I don't think the senior partners are ever going to understand that one. Uh, at least from that firm, a later firm that I was in, probably would. They would have probably joined us uh, oh, okay. for this one, but this was this was the this was like the suit and tie every day. Mm. You need to be there at seven a.m. You need, you better not leave before six p.m. Yeah, kind of firm. And these are the guys that Black Sabbath write songs about. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, like any road trip, we even planned out the playlist beforehand. You know, like right. so, how are we going to do this? We you know you know we had between us obviously the Black Sabbath albums, mm-hmm. and then each of us had various cassettes that we had acquired over time that had bootleg copies of like live Black Sabbath albums. Mm-hmm. This is where the internet would have been nice to have. So we we pull into town into Salt Lake City. There was not Yelp. There was whatever. We were just like we'll pick the pick a hotel that's cheap because again we're we're paying off student loans. We don't have a lot of money. Right, so, right. Uh, and each of us had families, uh, which was like another layer of approvals. You know, first you had to get the senior partners, then you had to get the spouses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we got to, so we were just like, gets the cheapest room near, I think still then it was called the Delta Center. I'm not entirely sure, but it was. What the, would that be now? Is that the. I don't even think they, I think they don't even play in the Delta Center oh, okay. anymore. But. It's probably the. Diet Dr Pepper Arena now. It, it, it yeah. probably yeah, it yeah. probably something like that, yeah. and whatever it was. But I, but we but we pull into town. We'll go ahead and leave the name, the, the chain of the hotel alone. But it was a chain. But it was a chain hotel and hotel motel. The hotel motel, and definitely like um, it wasn't the, it wasn't a Gene Simmons you know Holiday Inn sort of place, uh, but along those lines. And we walk in, and then we have to sit there behind a heated exchange. 
between the person at the desk and a very large person and a diminutive woman. And the person at the desk is explaining to the large person that he couldn't put the room in her name mm -hmm. because, quote, you and I both know what's going on in that room and I'm not going to have people coming in and out of the hallway all night. And he says, it's not that. She just needs a room for the evening. I'm paying for the room for the oh, evening. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> he then gives the key, gives the key to her, and again we're small little country boys. Well, I shouldn't say country; these are small agrarian boys. Yeah. This is all new to us, and then we go in and we to check in, and he's nice and he's happy, and he gives us the key, which just so coincidentally happens to be like because we heard the room number that he told her it has to be the room next to this, to the room that he was just having the fight about. <laughs> Look, we know what's going on in that room, so we have that kind of like in our head the whole time. It's yeah. like. Okay. I yeah, we'll, I, I don't know. I so guess we'll just have a lot of beer then. Yeah, I'm not really sure what we're gonna. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we we think about it. Was like, should we should we go somewhere else? Yeah. I mean, maybe we shouldn't stay at this hotel. We're like, but the Delta Center, it's right there. And, and did, you know did what? It have a pool. It, it did have a pool. Okay. But, well, yeah. I mean, there's but, pros and cons. So then Black Sabbath. Yeah. So we're like, well, it's Black Sabbath. Yeah. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna check in we're gonna get the heck out of there we're gonna black sabbath black sabbath is gonna play till 11 mm -hmm. back in we know we have to get up in the next morning to get back to the mill so you know whatever that situation is we don't need to worry about that situation right. because we're just gonna go to black sabbath so then we start walking and we're laughing because as we're walking towards the delta center we're like did we get the the time right on yeah. this show mm -hmm. because i really would have expected to be a quiet. lot more people in the area, yeah. you know, yeah. as we're getting there. I can't remember who the opening band was to be. And so we pull out the old paper tickets and we're like, no, I mean, this is, we're at seven. We're, this mm -hmm. is, this is when we're supposed to be here. We walk up to the Delta Center, nothing there. I mean, there's <laughs> nobody there. And um, we walk up to the, the ticket booth and there's just one person there and we're like, did we get the venue wrong? Cause we're, mm. we're here for the black Sabbath show. And he just like has this dumb look on his face and he's like, well, it canceled. And oh, I'm like, no, what do you mean it canceled? He goes, well, Ozzy has a cold. It canceled actually two days ago. And I'm like, what cold do you have that you knew two days in advance? Get Ozzy a lozenge. <laughs> I, right now. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. We took time off of work. Yeah. We drove to Salt Lake City, and we are here. And I don't know what's going to be waiting for us at the hotel now that that's the only place that we have to go. Yeah. Um, and he goes, now. well, don't worry about it. Just hold on to your tickets. They're coming back. So what they've done is they've bumped it to the end of the tour. Okay. On the end of the tour, they're going to they're gonna run back. Okay. So, uh, so we're like, uh, and look, like I really think it was like a Tuesday. Now. It was like a Tuesday night, and mm -hmm. there wasn't Riff Haven and things like that to listen to Event Horizon Boogie on a Tuesday night. No, they're... they're the radio was really yeah you remember what Tuesday nights before point. our radio yeah. shows yeah just dead so we had nothing and then we're in Salt Lake City which you know is when we first found out about the liquor laws and all that kind of stuff I'll skip the hotel story I just tell you it's that, that everything that we ex that we were worried about in fact happened in the hotel. and we just sat there like two huddled terrified like, we were 25 reduced to 12 year olds like at summer camp <laughs> waiting for the bullies to beat in the door cops eventually showed up and we we're just like, just get through the night. This is the, but remember, we're gonna see Oz. It's it's gonna be all worth it because yeah. we're gonna see Ozzy in August or September or whatever it was. <laughs> okay. So then, just like defeated, poor, 
puppies. We just like get in the car, and it's we such a it's such home. a sad little drive because we we were so excited and expecting. Yeah. By the time we get back, we're like, you're not going to appreciate this, but we just saw Black Sabbath. That's what we did. I know you spent the day billing, but you know what we did? We saw Black Sabbath. Yeah. So <laughs> now you flash forward. Same thing. So now it's September. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, it's August, September, whatever it was. And we're like excited. It's like, okay, now we're going to see Black Sabbath. So same thing. Pull out the cassette. No CDs. Pull out the CDs. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're going to run these through. We're down there. You would have thought. It would have clicked in our heads. You know what? Just given. Maybe we should just call. Right. Maybe we should call just to make sure. But we did. We're like, well, Ozzy wouldn't cancel twice. No, he wouldn't twice. cancel twice. That's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, he, he owns Salt Lake City, this show. Now, drive down there, get into town, choose a different hotel. Okay, yeah. Pull up the hotel, and it's the sort of, yeah, we pay the, we pay the extra $50 or whatever it was to get a hotel, made sure it had a pool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and like usually like when you know at the hotel like so what are you in town for and we're like we're here to see the Black Sabbath show and he goes the Black Sabbath show oh my god and we're like <laughs> and so he goes yeah they canceled and we and we pause and we go are you messing with us is that what's happening here there's no way he canceled and we're like did he did they really cancel he's like no they again? they canceled uh I don't remember what exactly the excuse was, but maybe it was like the you know the tour had gone on long enough, yeah. and they're like, we're not going to go back to Salt Lake City, and so we ended up getting our tickets refunded. And I'm like, oh, well, God. that's it. So then that's why I call this the the the, the pursuit of this particular road trip. Mm. This is the Aussie hates me story because by this point now we're into 2016. I think we figured it out. It's been 20 years. It has been 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as, I mean, that's even a longer period than Black Sabbath was together. Yeah, right. Think about it. And I'm just like, I'm convinced he hates me because I've every every opportunity I've seen, and so I even stopped trying. Like I had opportunities to go see them. I was like, well, mm. uh, there's no reason. And I found out later, like on the Osborne show, the whatever that TV show that he was on. Oh, the Osborne. The Osborne. Yeah. That Sharon would always cancel. That he would yell at Sharon if he if Black Sabbath had to do back to back nights. Oh, really? Okay. Because Ozzy couldn't do back-to-backs. Mm. And so, he, apparently, he had a habit of, if it was a back-to-back show, of canceling the second of the two shows. Oh, really? I didn't know that. You know, I won't do back-to-backs. I'm surprised they let that air. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like... So, with all that being said, so then, it's 2016, so I've given up. And my You're not going to see Ozzy. I'm just, yeah, it's never going to happen. And yeah. then remember, it was the final, final. Remember when Black Sabbath came out and said, we're getting back together minus Bill Ward, but we are getting back together and this is it. This is the, the, the I think they even called it, this isn't the, the end tour? Yeah, this is the end. I was tempted. I was like, you're not getting me this time, so forget it. But my son, who was working in oil wells not too far from Las Vegas, mm-hmm. for my birthday, gave me a ticket to go with him to go see Black Sabbath. Okay. In Vegas. In Vegas. Okay. Now I had a new road trip partner. So I met him down in the oil uh, country where he was working. Yeah. Super and, metal, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is down in, he was down in like uh, the southern part of Utah. Mm. So I drove through Salt Lake City, rem- remembering all of like the prior <laughs> trips that I had gone. The dark cloud Just over dark Salt clouds. Lake City. Got to, yeah. Got to Utah. My son and I got in the car with another friend of his. We drove to Las Vegas. And um, 
when you are excited to see a band, you spend time talking about the band, right? Yeah. And so this was this great generational moment. Now, whereas before, the back in the, the late 90s, trying down on two unsuccessful, unsuccessful attempts to see Black Sabbath, you know, it was me with the person who was my age talking about Black Sabbath. And now, here I am, you flash forward, and now I'm here with my son who's just a little, I think he was, at that point in time he was, 23 so just a little past 21 okay uh which is of course not the subject of this topic but that's a dangerous time to be in las vegas a, yeah that's a, true a 23 yeah. year old but you know so then that was an th- that was another great one so then you know we're playing black sabbath we're talking about black sabbath mm-hmm. and we're talking about it in like the two generations removed because obviously i was born in 69 so i wasn't there for black sabbath i was listening to him one step removed yeah and yeah. now my son is two steps removed but living it through me because he had to put up with me playing Black Sabbath yeah. at the house and now it's it seeped its way in yeah that's way. how I learned Black Sabbath right we drive to Las Vegas we get to Las Vegas we stay at the Hard Rock Hotel much like me but then amplified by 10 this is his first experience in like Las Vegas big city 23 and so him and his buddy are just I mean they are living like they are living like Ozzy Osbourne and yeah. not being being mindful of the fact that they still have to get to the show, right? I think that rubs off on you at that age. Like, when you're about to see someone excessive, you feel like you have to be excessive as well. And they were all in. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't, in fact, that was his and father. I'm, didn't... Saying that, I'm, I'm in that age group, so that I, I understand. <laughs> so, I, yeah, so, you know, I, I, we're bopping from casino bar to casino bar, and they're just, they're hitting it up, and mm-hmm. I'm just like... Now I'm like being in the forest, like, but we need to get. But Ozzy. We're getting to the Black Sabbath show. <laughs> At this point, it's like your life's purpose. Yes. It's a quest. <laughs> it, has become, it has become a quest for me. So finally, finally, I get to see Black Sabbath in 2016 on the end tour. It was everything that I hoped they would be. Yeah. You know, when you see Ozzy as like the, no, I mean, I, I love Black Sabbath and all that, but so I don't mean to be hurtful, but mm-hmm. I mean, in the show, he comes off as like a doddering old man, and so you're worried, like, oh, how, yeah. how's this going to be? There's some sort of muscle memory in that guy. Like, the minute that he comes on stage as Ozzy of Black Sabbath, it just... I feel like it's almost all he knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, so great. Yeah. And that was just like... And then there was... It was just like this moment for me, because like I had said, I had thought Ozzy hated me. Yeah. I had spent 20 years in... If you count them all in total, five separate road trips to try and get to see some version of Ozzy, but really I was just there to see Black Sabbath, right? Yeah. And there they were on stage and, you know, and it was just, it was just, it was just it. And you were like, that's why, that's why we keep after it. That's why we drive. That's yeah. the music is the moment. That is the moment for us of just saying, this is why it was all worth it. So I didn't, I wasn't mad at him. In that moment, for the two prior ones, it became like, at least the story has a great conclusion that I finally got to see Ozzy and Black Sabbath on their final. Well, that's, I mean, that's why they're Black Sabbath. And that's why it doesn't matter how many miles you have to travel. That's no matter where it was. I would tell anyone, if Black Sabbath ever did reunite, do the trip, yeah, man. That's why you do the trips. Yeah. You do the trips for those moments. And if COVID hasn't taught us the importance of like chasing those moments, anything does I mean yeah. that was a great reminder of just what that was right, right. Sam Berman.
I'm gonna go Mike out. Good? Back there? In the very back? The cheap seats? Oh, yeah. Let me start with my notes. It was either 2011 or 2014, and it was winter because I still had a cast on. So that's where we'll start, <laughs> somewhere between those years. Um, I played in bands all the time growing up. Loved it. So bad. I would play for years until I got kicked out because I actually cannot keep time as a drummer correctly. Uh, yeah. 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 So, um, I was playing in a band in Chicago. And I'm not going to say the name of it because uh, a lot of those guys are still working and, and you know, I don't want to damp their style. And um, we played at this venue called The Metro. Now, because I haven't written this story, I'm going to give you guys six minutes to Google the Metro on your cell phones while I, you know, vamp or whatever. Um, and it's a classic venue, and it's kind of most famous for in the early aughts, the early 2000s. It started that uh, pop, or it started that Midwest pop punk thing. So the uh, Alkaline Trio, Fallout Boy, bands that. Not my style, but were very a lot of them became very, very popular. And uh, I was, in 2011 or 2014, one of those years, I was playing in a very hip, you know, band, and we played a show at the Metro. And uh, we were partying, because that's what you do when you're in a band, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were partying. And I was partying. Out of my mind. You talk about COVID time. Band year time is the exact same manifestation. It is uh, days or years, years or hours, and somehow hours are also hours. That kind of thing, right? So we're at the Metro, real cool. One of these cool old places where they have the chandelier. Yeah, we've all been to one of those bullshit places. Uh, the chandelier, the whole thing. Over the stage, very moody, very cool. And... Uh, play the show, we're hanging backstage. The Metro's claim to fame is they've never painted the walls in the back room. So it has the signature of every band that's ever been there. We got Alkaline Trio, we got all the way to, I don't know, Whitney Houston. I didn't actually fucking read any of them. But they were all up there and they look sick. And it's filled with signatures of every person that's ever played there in the hundred years it was around or whatever. And I thought that was dope. Until someone got a text message and said Lady Gaga's at a party in Chinatown right now which is so much doper than a bunch of old signatures on the wall. We lost our minds because this was in either 2011 or 2014 before anyone knew what Lady Gaga looked like. I mean, we've seen her in music videos, but she was, it was like Michael Jackson territory of like what, there was this mystique still around her. I remember, we were like, let's see if we get a good look at this thing. Let's see what's going on here. Not, not, in, even, not in any type of, Let's see what she looks like. Let's just see what this actual person, how tall is she? Nine feet tall? Four feet tall? We had no idea. We were so excited. So we go to Chinatown. And like most cool parties in Chinatown, it's in a slaughterhouse where they cut off chickens' heads or their uh, something. They fully hang the dried out chickens in the window. We go in. No one's in there. Make our way all the way to the back. Doorman. Maybe he's four feet tall, maybe he's nine feet tall. Hard to tell the year or the height of anybody. But bigger than me. So I'm going to say over four feet, and he says, everyone's in the back. 
We already got the text message, we got the Twitter, we're good to go, we're back in the party. All the way back in the party, uh, it's blue light like the strips of light in here. It's just single blue light over the top, black room, $40 cocktails, the entire thing. We're going, which one's Gaga? Because we're looking around, everyone's in the chat. Which one's Gaga in here? Has not arrived yet. This girl named April comes over. She, she's the one throwing the party. She says, Gaga's on her way. And I go, that's sick. <laughs> then because I'm whacked out of my mind, I'm, I, I'm on a, fully out of my brain. We, we had a show that day. I've been partying all day. I go, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette until Lady Gaga gets here. I go outside. Across the street, no red tape, no nothing. Across the street, there is six people lined up on the sidewalk. Like there's an invisible red tape. I go out to smoke a cigarette. They go, I start hearing, Gaga, Gaga. And I'm like, she's here. No. Gaga fans waiting outside of this club in Chinatown to see Lady Gaga in this party. Also, thinking very clearly, I go up to him, smoking a cigarette. I say, what's going on? You guys are here to see Gaga. She's coming, you know, the whole thing. And they go, uh, when she's in there, will you tell us? Will you come back out and tell us? And I go, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to tell you guys when Lady Gaga's here. This kid comes up, Midwest. Now, remind you, Chicago, big city, we think, but also two hours away from every small city you've ever heard of. Wisconsin, you know, Detroit, call it nine hours. Maybe it was 2011, maybe it was 2014. Who's to say? Big kid, probably 6'3", grass-fed boy. Good-looking kid, tall, broad shoulders. He says, I'm here to see Gaga in this tightest Lady Gaga t-shirt you have ever seen. And I'm like, I'm here for you. I'm also here to see Lady Gaga. Older fan behind him says, he really is. That's his mother behind him. I thought it was an older fan. She says, I brought my son. We've driven down six hours to see Lady Gaga. Is she in there? I say, not yet. I go in, back into the club, find April or Ashley, 2011, 2014. Who's to say? She's in full chain meal. She, uh, she looks like a knight. That's the costume she has on to this party. Full thing down her face. I say, is Lady Gaga really coming? And she goes, no, I made that up. And I go, <laughs> you know there are fans outside. And she goes, yeah, it's awesome. And I go, no, it's not awesome. They really think Lady Gaga's going to be here. They really want to see Lady Gaga, if even for a moment. Go back outside, another cigarette. At some point in there, I'm in the bathroom, just trying to keep everything riding all night kind of thing. Feeling great, go back outside, say, guys, Gaga's not here yet. And he goes, oh, well, we'll just wait till she's here. And I said, I don't think she's gonna be here till really late. I say, I don't think she's coming. And they say, no way, we saw it on Twitter. And I'm like, you're probably right, she's probably gonna show up. <laughs> Then they say, we know she's not going to come out and see us. She's going through a lot with the media. And I said, I don't know about any of that, but yeah, I'll take your word for it. They ask me if I can get an autograph. I say, like you would. Absolutely. Go in. <laughs> I ask which of my friends has the worst cursive and then which of them has the best cursive because I feel like she would be someone that would write her name very poorly at first and very well in the end, something like that. No one is willing to sign a cocktail napkin I can take out to these people and say, she did show up, I was kind of joking with you, trying to keep a low profile, here's her autograph, go home kind of thing. No one wants to do it. 
I'm starting to feel weird about the whole thing. I go back out because this kid is so sweet that wants to see her. All he wants to do is get an autograph, some like little tiny piece of her. Like it really is that thing where just to see her move probably from a car into this meat locker would have you know made this kid's day kind of thing. So I keep going back out because I'm also smoking cigarettes and I'm also partying the whole time. And I go back out and I go, ah, if she's showing up, I don't know about it. And then I start talking to this kid, and he's, like, amused to me. I just want to, like, keep talking. I'm so, like, out of my mind in the city, hanging with all my friends. All I want to do is have this kid tell me this very pure, his very pure wants from this woman in a very kind of perverse, kind of, like, tell me the simple ways kind of thing. Which is bullshit, but, like, definitely what I was doing. And I'm asking him about it, and he's telling me this, this, that. And I say, at some point we get to, I say, well, what's your favorite, who did you like before Lady Gaga? And he goes... Fallout Boy, and his mom goes, he really did like Fallout Boy. And I go, you know what? I got a treat for you. And since these guys are from Wisconsin, I say, get in my car, and they say, absolutely. <laughs> because I guess that's what you do when you're from Wisconsin. Boom, Chinatown, Lakeshore Drive, back uptown, cut in, hit the metro, tell the door guy I left a drumstick or some bullshit like that. He's like, I don't give a shit. And I'm like, okay, we'll be right back. Take them upstairs all the way upstairs, into the back room with all the signatures. And I go, you know, Fallout Boy signed that wall right there is where they got their start. And the kid and his mom are there, and she's kind of looking around wide-eyed, and he's looking around, and he's going, man, that's really cool. And I'm like, you do think so? And he's like, yeah, but I could tell he didn't mean it when he said yeah. I could 100% tell it. And then I say, you know who else signed that wall? And he said, who else? And I said, everyone, including Lady Gaga. His mom went, no way. <laughs> he goes, no way. And I'm like, she's played here before. <laughs> to explain this wall would be like a bathroom stall on Skid Row kind of thing, Sergey. Just nothing but scribbles. It doesn't make any sense. His mom gets down on the sofa in the green room, starts taking pictures of him with his finger up like this, like she'd won a national championship, I guess. Like this, over the wall. My notes. Uh, and, uh, and, and she goes, your friends are gonna freak. And he's like, mom, I'm freaking out myself. He literally is freaking out. He starts, he's so excited about being in here. And I'm so excited for him because he genuinely just wanted this one moment. An autograph would have been enough, but seeing the wall she signed when she got her start, all the better. I sit down on the sofa. Night's starting to turn on me. It's a good 11, 11.30. It's getting a little late. They got a nine-hour drive back to Detroit or 2014 or whenever any of this happens. <laughs> and I sit back on the sofa. They take a few more pictures, and they go, you want a ride? And I said, I drove you guys here. And then they were gone. <laughs> really, they were gone. And uh, Dad must have just been circling the greater Chicagoland area until they were ready to go. And I go, thanks for coming. And they left. And then, and this is the true part of the story, I went outside and I called my mom. Because as a 24-year-old Jewish man, you call your mom at every... <laughs> you call her four times a day anyways. You definitely call her any time you think maybe something happened to you in life. So I call her and I go, Mom, I just made up this whole story and made this kid's entire day. And she said, your dad's a piece of shit. I said, absolutely. <laughs> Did I do the right thing? And she goes, Did you do the right thing lying to someone? Probably not. You made him happy, whatever. Not a big deal. I got a date. Got to go. 
And then I go, no, no, really. Like, I, I made up this whole thing, and it made me feel so good. It's not fucked up. And she said, when you were a little kid, I hired a guy to come play Batman at your birthday. He gave you a telephone number, and he said you could call him any time. I gave that telephone number to my friend Eric or Chad or April or one, one of the names that someone would have. And I said, my son's going to call you. you got to pretend to be Batman. And I did. Uh, I don't remember any of this, but it's one of those things, you know when you hear something that you don't know is true, but you know it's got to be true because when you say it out loud, it's 100%. Like, oh, yeah, that's definitely true. So she told me that story, and I don't remember it, but I believe her 100% that that part's true. And she said you would just kind of ask him homework questions and tell him what you had going on and that kind of shit. And Batman would be like, yeah, that's really good. You know, just you keep going to school and like, tell your mom to call back Eric or whatever his name was. It doesn't really matter. And I think about that so much because I think what you want when you see very, very famous people like Lady Gaga or Batman or any, whatever, whatever you want them to be as good ready for the double negative, as good as you hope they possibly can be to you. And all you really want at any time is a Batman or a Lady Gaga to check in with your homework <laughs> and tell you you're doing a really good job. That's the story. And we are back after those two entertaining superfan stories. Maybe we should have waited and listened to those and had them define superfan for us, because I think that idea of pursuing, um, you know, the dandelion story, dandelion, Dan Delion story of pursuing his, you know, his, I don't want to say crush, but his idol. Yeah, and what he ends up getting to do too is so cool is like he finally sees him with his own son. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's Sam's story about being a go-between. Yeah, he was a facilitator um, in a certain Lady way. Gaga I know, in, in the Midwest. Um, but, but yeah, think, it was. That's. Uh, I don't want to go too long here, but that's sort of something different than what we were just talking about. Because those aren't people looking to make. We were when we talked about being super fans. We're looking to make connections as peers with these. Mm -hmm. I think that was something I was going to bring up in the intro is that I think maybe what our problem is like, yeah, I can do it as well as you. I can do this as well as you, if not better, right? Ouch. <laughs> you we know, like more time watching professional sports. <laughs> yeah, the sports arena, we didn't even get into my Thurman Munson days when I was a kid. Oh boy. <laughs> I was the uh, favorite ball player. So, yeah, maybe this, in, you know, in closing for you, like if you could meet anybody um like in the Just world like, of literature or sports or would like, you have to sit and have to dinner besides the guy from starsky or hutch or starsky besides paul michael glazer who was at story for it last year <laughs> well i hope to meet jonathan evison oh wait um <laughs> i don't know off the top of my head i can't really think of anyone i'm you know i'm in my 50s i don't i don't it's it's hard to can to but not now but anytime like, what's like one somebody from your Oh, like who would have driven me? Like if I was like a kid, it would have been Tom Seaver. Oh, Tom Seaver. Okay. Yeah, Matt would have been like, "Oh my God, it's Tom Seaver." Um, I guess, I guess Tweety. I'd like to hang out with Tweety, but I wouldn't think like I want to like 
you know, a salam at Tweety's feet. And we're like, he's a good guy to hang out with. Yeah, I'd like to hang out with him. Yes, you know, put on your flannel and just go down to the bar. I don't know. His house is probably nicer than mine, so that that's good. Probably. But uh, yes, well, this is our, uh, this, we're moving out of this thing, it's an outro. So as we outro out of here, what do you want to say? Thank you for another successful season of the Story Forward podcast. It's our second one. Uh, the 12 episode format is rocking. Our mm-hmm. themes are killing it. Next season, we'll be talking from stories from the world of sports or all you non-sports fans. It's going to be uh, maybe not your favorite season. Yes. So this is the last episode of season two of this incarnation of our podcast, A Story Forward. Incarnation. Yeah. Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of exploring different stories in the world of music, just as we explored summer stories in season one. Uh, you know, the stories from the world of music. We missed a lot, I'm sure. But yeah. yeah. And if you have ideas, please send them to us. Um, go to our Facebook page. Uh, go to the Instagram. They tweet tweet to Larry, like personal. Like, what's your personal Twitter? You, oh, my personal yeah. is at that Larry Rosen. But tweet to at uh, story dot forward on Twitter and uh, yeah. same thing on Instagram. Or go to the Facebook group. Um, I would love to see some debate about what we missed because I'd love to know what we missed. You know, we before the season starts, we we get together and we go over the theme and we try to explore all the nooks and crannies of it and see what we can turn up. And naturally, we're going to miss some. Yes, and we definitely had there's plenty to cover in the world of music here, but we did it. I think gave it a pretty good, you know, I guess a wide swath of different experiences and different angles. Um, but we could have done. Could have gotten some hip hop in there, which I would have enjoyed quite a bit, but we didn't quite get this. Only 12 episodes, and we can only do so much for this podcast in this format. We could have done hair bands, didn't happen. <laughs> I take offense, yeah. <laughs> um, we could have done who knows all sorts of things, but I really enjoyed this season a whole bunch. And just like what's the cool thing is about what we get to do is meeting. I met a bunch of people that you knew and you met some people that I know and also that we met some people we didn't know before this and just getting to know their stories and, and yep. we do you know always want to you know have Brett Battistain mentioned here who runs the eavesdrop studios podcast network as well ease-drop.com and we have Jared Bostrom McKinsey Heilman uh, Joe Davidson throws in some good stuff for us and our on our team, um, as well as a few other folks. Um, and also you, Larry, great stuff. And, and, and we never actually specifically thank StoryFort. Oh, we don't. I know. StoryFort is sort of the the mothership, as they say. I don't know. But this, this kind of gave birth to this particular podcast. Mm. This kind of came out of StoryFort Presents, which was a larger kind of scope of tree fort which got a little bit unwieldy um, amidst the covid times um, when we couldn't we didn't really have footage from uh, any audio footage from from you know the festival itself and you know there's a lot of things to the festival so he's got to narrow it down into sort of a theme oriented you know seasons and also just like man it gave us i think a little bit more autonomy and ways to go about telling stories that are about particulars that we're interested in so yeah all right all right that's 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 it thanks that's what is this season two denis keep the story moving forward and look for stories from the world of sports coming soon